Hello and welcome. My name's Karen O'Connor and this is Things That Make You Go Mmm. This is your podcast to help you make the most of the wisdom and experience that comes with getting that little bit older. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome. I'm here today with Dr. Ron Eker. Good morning, Ron. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. I'm really looking forward to this. I I was just saying to you off screen, I actually really love your website because it gives a real indication of who you are. So it's your website. So Ron's obstetrician gynecologist, but you specialize in menopause. Yes, yes. I've been a practicing OBGYN in in the States for about 34 years and about eight or 10 years ago, I made the decision to stop delivering babies, which was a difficult choice, but I really had a tremendous interest and have been developing an interest in perimenopausal menopausal medicine, which actually is, is a thing. People don't really understand that A decade ago, if you would have said that, people would have thought, well, what in the heck is he talking about? That was just not a topic that was talked about and discussed. But it's always been an interest of mine. So I decided at that point, once I stopped obstetrics and could devote more time to in-office work, that that was really going to be the direction and the the way I wanted to take the practice. And it really has been very rewarding. And hopefully we've had a positive impact on a lot of women that have transitioned through this time frame. As, as you well know, it's a, a normal, natural transition, but it sometimes is fraught with potholes. And I feel like part of my goal is to help folks navigate those potholes. Yeah, it's fascinating that you're saying that because that was one of the big things that I got out of, I mean, one of the reasons why I started the podcast was that information about menopause is not widely known, which just seems absurd. And I've shared this a few times over the years, but when I started with perimenopause, I went to my doctor not knowing what on earth was going on. I was just having really heavy periods. I wasn't sleeping. My moods were all over the place. The kids didn't know whether they were going to wake up with like the next uh, mass murderer or somebody who was really nice. But I didn't know what was happening. And my GP at the time literally said to me, she said, oh, I think you're going through perimenopause. Here's some antidepressants. Here's some sleeping tablets. You'll be all right in about four years. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, your experience is not unusual, believe it or not. And I think that's part of what my purpose is now is trying to get information like that out to as many people as possible, because that information is power, that knowledge is power, but more importantly, that application of that knowledge is power. So we we really feel that it's so important for people to be aware. That's the first step is that education, that awareness. And then take that and apply the knowledge and put it into action. It's not something to just put up with. It's most women in this age are going to spend a third of their life in the menopause. And that's not a time to just give up and put up and just be told that, gosh, that's just the way it's going to be. There is so much that can be done to make this time frame, what Margaret Mead, the great anthropologist, called postmenopausal zest, 
because it really is a time where, if you think about it, perimenopausal, menopausal time frame, and we're talking about on average that 45 to 55 and beyond age range. For many women, it's a time where they are at a place in their life where a lot of good things are happening. A lot of uh, things like uh, they're, they're at a place in their relationships, whether it's the kids are hopefully by that point, maybe out of the house or maybe not, hopefully not coming back from after they've already left. But you're you're in a good place uh, emotionally, physically, and then all of a sudden these things happen, and you think, what what's going on? Just like you just described your experience, it's not like you read the textbook. It really can be very disconcerting to women. It can be very uh, disparaging to feel like all the coping mechanisms, all the the knowledge, all the life experience that I've put together to to get to this age successfully. It's not working exactly like I thought it was going to. And like you said, you wake up one morning and your kids go hide under the bed and you think, what is happening? So it all starts with that knowledge base. It all starts with understanding that, yes, this is a normal, natural transition. You got to start there. You were designed this way. You're not broken. But that doesn't mean that there can't be a lot of things that can be very symptomatic, very problematic. But more importantly, there are a lot of things that you can do about all those. And it goes right back to what you just said, and that's learning what is going on. Just that awareness alone, believe it or not, with a lot of women I work with, and and this may have been your experience, is just the awareness, just knowing that you're not going crazy. Or as I hear the most common thing I hear is an expression we hear in the States all the time is, I thought I was falling apart. And just knowing that you're not broken, that there there is rational reasons why these things are going on in your body. But that for many women that I work with is the light bulb moment that all of a sudden changes the trajectory of where they go with with these symptoms. That's spot on because the biggest issue for me wasn't, and I think for many women as well, you know, certainly most of the women I've spoken to, the issue wasn't the symptoms. It was the concern that there was something wrong. That like, oh my God, what is happening to me? What's happening? Am I losing it? Am I sick? Have I got some kind of terminal illness that the doctors can't figure out what's going on? You know, we just, it's that lack of knowledge that causes most of the problems. And when we go into teenage years, we expect, and everybody around us expects that some days we're going to lose it and some days we're going to be in the heap on the floor and some days we're going to be fine. We expect that, but we we seem to have this belief that as we get older, that shouldn't happen anymore because we've done puberty. We don't need to do it again, but we actually do when we go through menopause. Yeah, I've actually described menopause to some people as puberty with experience. So it, it really... <laughs> It really is a a transition, and quite interestingly, a lot of the hormonal changes uh, that happen with puberty are what happen with menopause in reverse. Uh, so it, it's an exciting time because women are getting more information through podcasts like yourself and and other sources, and 
it's almost to the pendulum has swung almost far to the other side in that it's not uncommon for me to be in the office and have a, a patient come in and bring in a stack of papers six inches thick that she's run off or printed from the internet when she's done all the searches. And that's great. And I'm huge on self-education and learning and being your own boss. And, and gosh, I can tell you, MD does not stand for menopause director. Uh, I think that it's wonderful for women to come in and be partners with their healthcare providers, but it has to be curated and it has to be put through the context because if, as you well know, if you search for anything on the internet, you can easily go down into a lot of rabbit holes. And I think the last time I looked up, just did a Google search for menopause, it was over 4 million different, different web pages it could take you to. And, and anybody who, who searched for any kind of healthcare information on the, the, super highways knows that it's fraught with danger and part of my role. And, and, and I think a lot of what you're doing, which is so wonderful is you're curating that you're, you're taking that information and providing a context and providing valid scientific, empirically proven advice and information that women really need to hear and just getting information by itself is not necessarily where you want to go. It's getting information that is contextual to you individually, that is reputable, that has been vetted, that is not trying to sell you anything. That's so important with our major source of information. You know, we survey after survey, women will tell you that their major source of information about the menopause is number one, family and friends, which it didn't used to be because nobody talked about it. But now that's a little bit more so. And then second is the Internet. And unfortunately, uh, about 12th is their doctor, which maybe says something about the healthcare system. Um, but I, I, I know from personal experience that the the more people search, the more confused and frustrated they sometimes get without somebody to partner with them to cut through the noise. Because I noticed in your, it was actually on the website, I think, you've won all kinds of awards about your education around menopause and stuff, haven't you? Which is, to me, that's the issue. One of the reasons for me personally why I wouldn't go to my doctor was that experience when I first went because the doctor, and it was a woman, didn't explain anything to me. She just said, literally, you're going through menopause and you'll be okay in a few years. There was no structures that I could put in place and there was no explanation given. And that, I think, is the issue. Like, I talk to experts like you, and it's fantastic. And I think, my GP needs to know this. <laughs> Why doesn't my GP know this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're not alone. And that's one of the problems that we see with medicine becoming so compartmentalized that unless you take a specific interest in a topic, it's very, it's very hard to be well-versed on everything. And that's... 
I, I have tremendous respect for the GPs and the internal medicine doctors and the family doctors, but they are so overwhelmed with the volume of knowledge to be learned in a specific niche area that even in a specialty like obstetrics and gynecology, unless you have an interest, things like menopause can actually become a secondary concern. And, and really, there's so much breaking on an, uh, literally on a weekly and monthly basis with regards to research and looking at different options that you really have to be very well vetted on that. Uh, and speaking of the, the gender, I, that's something that's very dear to me uh, as a, a male physician. I almost always would get questions about, well, how could you possibly know anything about menopause? It's something you'll never experience. In fact, about 10 years ago, when I, I wrote my first book on hormones, I was speaking to a large group and lady came up to me afterwards and said, Dr. Eaker, I really love what you say. I love what you talk about, but you're the wrong age and the wrong sex. <laughs> and I just, you know, it really took me back. And I, I, I said, well, you know, what? I'm glad you told me that because that's, that's something I really need to address because that's part of that, that, that that's part of that, uh, that uh, trust that's important for people to understand so I think the way that I view that is this menopause is not a gender issue. It's an experience issue. It's a knowledge issue. And simply because I will never have a hot flash doesn't mean I haven't walked with thousands of women who have and literally learned from them. I feel like a student every day when patients come in. I'm constantly learning from them and then hopefully translating that into advice for others that are walking through that. Plus, after doing this for 34 years, you, you see both sides. You see women coming into it like you described in the early part of your experience. But I've also seen hundreds of women, if not thousands by now, on the other side. So I can bring that perspective in letting folks know that there is light at the end of the proverbial tunnel and it's not an oncoming train or it's not a hot flash. It actually is uh, solutions. So it's, it's something I'm very sensitive to and really embrace. The other thing that I found that's quite interesting is you think about the menopause time frame, and oftentimes, as you already mentioned with your kids, None of this happens in isolation. None of this happens in an envelope. And in many instances, a lot of stress and a lot of problems surrounding the perimenopause is in the interaction and the perception of a, a woman's significant other. And if it happens to be a man, golly gee, I can bring that perspective also and say, here is part of the issue. Let's bring them in. Let's talk about uh, understanding what this is, because really for men, it is a matter of knowledge because you think you are confused. Holy cow. <laughs> Let me tell you, they're not just dazed and confused. They're running scared because they say, wow, this, this, here's this person that I've had this beautiful relationship with. All of a sudden, things are just not the same in many ways. So 
you got to remember that for a lot of women, this is this is something that goes beyond just their own experience. And I think it's important to take that in consideration when you're it's something I always ask is, do you have someone in your life that is struggling with this like you? And would it be helpful for you guys to come in together or for me to just talk to them separately? Because that that can be a source of stress and stress magnifies these hormonal symptoms in many instances. I was actually, when you were talking before, I was actually going to say that because I have had quite a few men reach out to me and say, my wife's going through menopause and I don't know how to deal with it. And I I did interview a friend of mine who's a counsellor because his partner was going through menopause. So I wanted to see his side of it because all of a sudden our moods change. It is suddenly like living with somebody that you don't know. And a friend of mine who's American, she had the best solution, but something as simple as this. She said, look, she sat her family down and she said, guys, I'm in perimenopause and I don't know how it's going to impact me in terms of my mood and everything. So if I walk out of my room in the morning and I say, I am not fit for human consumption today, please ignore (laughs) anything I say. But that one thing, simple conversation just allows everybody the freedom to go okay right (laughs) it's just it gets out in the open it gets discussed it's talked about and I think that's the first step in in the course that I've put out on menopause that's a, a very important chapter if you will that talks about how that communication between partners between families is really key to prevent any misperceptions, prevent any conflict, prevent any problems that will fester if not discussed, if not talked about. And that's the first step. And my caution then is always to make sure that all parties also know that I'm not going to use that as an excuse. And I also don't want you to just immediately attribute any changes to, oh, honey, that's just your hormones. That's just as bad. So it's, it's, a, it's a very important dialogue that goes on. And sometimes that is helpful being facilitated by someone who can kind of explain. Sometimes for, for men, it helps to explain the physiology. Sometimes it's a little more than they want to hear. They don't want to know about ovaries, you know, you mention those words and they, they break out into a sweat. So you, you you have to gauge that in each person. But I love that suggestion. I love that of kind of the family meeting and let's let's just get it all out. So there's there's no misperceptions when my head rotates and I uh, my eyes spit blood. But it's so important for men to understand this as well, to give them a context. When I first started doing this, um, I've got two sons, two daughters, and my el- well, both boys are married now, but my eldest son said to me, Mum, I need to know this because I want to know that my wife is okay and what do I, what can I do to help her deal with whatever's going on in her life? Boy, you've raised one heck of a young man. That's that's an unusual response. I, I love that, and I that is a template for a appropriate, helpful reaction. Is 
understanding that there are things that spouse or significant other or boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever would be able to provide not a source of stress, but be a source of comfort. And that in turn helps them. So it's it, it's one of those health issues that really goes way beyond just the physiology. It, it involves not only mind, body, and spirit, but also other people in your sphere, in your environment, even workplace uh, sometimes can be affected. I have a lot of high-powered executive women in very important positions in their companies. And the last thing they want to do is be giving a presentation and have a hot flash and start sweating. And that leaves a, a negative impression because they people interpret that very differently. So there's all kind of aspects that play a role in, in this time frame. And it all goes back to that beginning where you learn what it is and what it isn't. And I think that's a big part of your healthcare provider's job, especially if they understand. And I think that's why I devote a lot of time to that in, in the course and in, in my previous books is differentiating between what is menopause and menopause related symptoms and what is not because these are off, oftentimes symptoms that overlap with other things. For example, thyroid disorder, a very common series of problems that occur most commonly in this age group of women that can mimic menopausal symptoms. So it's, it's the time where if the woman doesn't bring this up with their healthcare provider, which I see a lot too, women will say, well, gosh, I had no idea this was hormone related or I just was embarrassed or I just didn't want to talk about it. We can do a lot, but we're not really good at mind reading. But if someone will relay those symptoms, then part of our job as healthcare providers is to take a hard look at what those are and first and foremost, be very clear in differentiating what is related to menopause and hormone related and what potentially could be something quite different. We tend to resist the thought of being in menopause. <laughs> that's generalisation, but we do no, kind that's of very true. back off like, oh, my God, I cannot possibly be going through menopause or coming up towards menopause. And how much is there of a head in the sand kind of scenario because that seems to be what I'm hearing in what you're saying. Yes, very much so. And the if we were to do a experiment with a word association and and ask your listeners when you say the word menopause, what do they first think of? Many people will say something related to aging or getting old. So there is very much this connotation very much associated with aging. And unfortunately, we still live in cultures that don't necessarily look as look on aging as a positive thing. There are certain cultures around the world that aging is revered, but by and large, that's not the case. We still are very much youth oriented. And all you have to do is talk to your plastic surgeon and they can tell you how youth oriented we still are. But unfortunately, that is a conscious or subconscious uh, association. So 
it is to some degree something that we fight against. We don't want to accept the fact in many instances that we are getting older. And this is a very in your face expression of that occurring. And tied to that is beginning to understand your own mortality. And I know we're kind of getting kind of into a deep uh, psychological area here, but it, it truly impacts how people view this time of their life. And part of enjoying this is beginning to embrace the reality of the age, but more importantly, understanding with all the advances that we have now in preventative medicine and longevity in taking someone who is in their 40s and 50s, who is in reasonably good health, and in this day and time, fully expecting them to reach their 90s in reasonably good health, if they do a lot of the right things, we have the ability to confidently bring people along with that now. And I think if women begin to see that as not the end of the first half, but the beginning of the second half of life, a time that can be full of purpose and meaning and joy and understand the difference between health span and lifespan and and how that there's so many things that are available now, whether it's behavioral, whether it's supplements, whether it's medicines, whether it's uh, just different uh, nutrition. There's so much that can be applied. It's never too late. Gosh, I read a study the other day of 90 year olds who actually showed an improvement in muscle mass by doing some very light band resistant exercises. So I'm a big believer along with this time frame where you're right, there has been this bury your head in the sand or run away from the, the reality uh, to embrace that and then use that energy that you use to worry about it and to suppress it, use that energy to pursue different things that can actually prolong that health span, how long you can stay vigorous and engaged. And this is a perfect time to do that when you're in your 40s and 50s. The decisions you make during that time frame are going to dramatically impact your wellness in your 70s and 80s. And, you know, 50 is the new 30. And I think that there is so much that we can embrace because of the impact it has on those years. It becomes logarithmic rather than linear, meaning that it's almost like compounded interest. If we make good health decisions in our 40s and our 50s, it's going to come back dramatically in the 70s and 80s in enhanced lifestyle and lack of chronic illness and just flat enjoyment of life, being able to do the things you want to do. I, I read a study the other day, and this was in the States that said that the average difference between a person's lifespan and their health span, meaning that lifespan is when they die, but health span is how long they can be doing the things that bring them joy, whether it's being with uh, still working in their job or being with family or traveling or whatever it involves. The difference is 14 years, meaning that for on average, that's just average. 
for 14 years before you die, you are either debilitated physically or emotionally and not able to do the things that you normally would would bring you purpose and joy. And that that was devastating to me. I think the, the greatest joy that I can bring as a physician is to extend that health span so that people can look at those that second half of life as a time of rejuvenation, a time of, uh, that they can really establish what it is they're here for and, and build those relationships and maybe now have the time, even the financial means, the wisdom to be able to do things that they couldn't do in that first half of life. So it's, it's a mindset. It's beginning to look at the reality of taking this uh, and looking at it not in a negative context, but in a very positive context. That was astonishing to me. It's like, yes, yes, you kind of summed up everything that's been going on in my mind for a while. What do we need to do in our 40s and 50s as we're going through perimenopause and menopause to make the most of the rest of our lives? Because literally, you know, if you if you hit menopause at 45, you are halfway through your life. You've got half of your life to go. And you want, we all want to be making the most of it. So what can we do? Well, specifically, I, I kind of break it down into what I call four pillars of, of health. And this applies not only to menopausal women. And we can talk a little bit more specifically about some of the things that apply to longevity for, for menopausal women. But let me just give you the four. And, and believe me, there is nothing magical here. I didn't get some revelation from above that told me what these were. These are things that you probably learned in kindergarten. But if we don't apply them, they're probably about as effective as you thought they were in kindergarten. And number one is nutrition. I mean, there that's our medicine. You know, we we know from the ancient times that what we eat, what we fuel, what we put in our bodies is so vastly more important than almost any other aspect of our health. And when we think about longevity, when we think about wellness, there's so much information now available on the types of nutrition. I mean, we can talk at length about not only what you eat, the macros, the protein, carbs, and fats, but how you eat, even the order in which you eat, the time in which you eat, all that plays a role. And again, it goes back to that education. You know, we could spend a, an entire podcast just talking about what to eat. Now, for perimenopausal women in particular, when it comes to nutrition, there's a number of things that are exceedingly important. Uh, number one is some of the regular nutrients we think about, things like calcium, like vitamin D. One thing that sometimes gets left out is fiber. Fiber content in our diet tends to decrease a lot of times as we age. We don't know why. Maybe it has to do with food selection or unfortunately people is they're, they're, if they're not paying attention to their, their teeth, they can have difficulty in chewing and swallowing very fibrous products. So they selectively choose. Fiber is incredibly important as it relates to not only GI health, but we know it has a massive effect on cardiovascular health. Calcium and vitamin D has been talked about very much with regards to bone health. And we know that women starting at about age 35 to 40 will begin to lose bone. And that's accelerated after the menopause. 
So doing everything you can to thwart that is important. Adequate protein intake. Women tend to also lose muscle as they age. And muscle mass has been one of those predictors of long-term health and wellness. There's a lot of things that go on with the muscles besides just movement that impact a lot of different parts of our physiology. So maintaining that muscle mass with adequate protein intake is, is very important. So there's a number of things that we can do nutritionally. The second pillar is ties into that very much, and that's activity level. Now, notice I didn't say exercise. Exercise is a part of that, but that's one of those myths that sometimes is out there that you have to be training for a marathon to be healthy and to be well throughout the menopause and beyond. In fact, one of the best treatments for things like hot flashes and mood changes during the menopause is physical exercise, being active. So let's think about that. Activity is the umbrella. And under that is one leg or one support is the exercise. And we all know what that is, going out for a walk, going to the gym, going for a swim, whatever it involves. But then we forget about the activity of daily living. And that's just as important. There's a number of studies now that show that people who are just active, even for short periods of time during the day, taking stairs, parking farther away, standing up when you could be sitting. I have a stand-up desk in my office. So in between patients, instead of sitting down at a desk, I just stand up and do my charting. So those little changes can be magnified over time. So don't ever forget about that as being a critical part of that activity component. Number three, sleep. And boy, does this make a big deal. This is a big deal in menopause because one of the major symptoms that many people experience in the menopause is a lack of sleep or a disruption of sleep for a number of reasons, not to mention hot flashes, which tend to occur more commonly at night and disrupt the normal sleep pattern. And there's a lot of things that you can do with sleep and a lot of things that can help facilitate not only quality and quantity, but that's really an important part, especially during these years. And it's something that oftentimes gets ignored, oftentimes is thought, oh, that's not really important because it just makes maybe a little tired the next day. But people who get uh, less than six hours or five hours quality sleep a night, not only are they feeling tired the next day, but it increases their risk for cardiovascular disease, for diabetes, for certain cancers, and even for senile dementia. So it's a big deal. And it really plays a role with menopause. And then finally, it's stress. Stress is pervasive. We, we live in a society where we can't escape it. It's inevitable. But what we can do is mitigate the impact it has on our physiology. We're never going to eliminate stress. It's always going to be there. In fact, in some ways, it's a good thing because you only get stressed about things that mean something to you. If it's, if it's insignificant, if it doesn't have purpose or meaning to you, eh, who cares? So if you're stressed, look at it this way. At least you're, you're caring. At least there's some purpose there, something that means something to you. Take that energy and put it into not worrying about the stress, but how can I then channel it into something that, that 
helps whatever it is that I'm concerned about. But learning to deal with stress and learning to deal with the impact on your physiology is so important. Again, across the lifespan, but even more so in the menopause, because now you have these other factors that are creating stress. And it's a matter of how you're perceiving that. There was a study not long ago that showed that your perception of whether you were stressed or the meaning that you gave to stress, meaning that if you thought, oh, I'm stressed and I know this is going to kill me, the likelihood of you actually having problems, and they measured stuff in the blood, so it's, this just wasn't all in your head, was, was magnified. Your immune function was worse. So even your perception of how you think about stress can impact how stress affects you. I know it sounds kind of circular there, but there are ways that you can block that chain. You can, you can kind of knock that link out of the way so that you learn how to understand the stress, recognize it, but then deal with it in a way that doesn't create that physiology. So those are kind of the four ways that when I look at longevity and when I'm walking through this experience with patients, I try to assess each one of those, where they are now, where they want to be, and then walk with them down that path to get them to that place. Something I only found out about the other week is when you've gone through menopause, your likelihood of a heart attack is actually the same as a man's because we all get a little bit complacent about things because our hormones protect us. We have enough calcium and and everything else. But when we hit menopause, suddenly we may not have enough calcium. I don't have enough magnesium. That's one of the things that I do. I need to take magnesium all the time. I need to make sure I'm out in the sun. But the heart attack thing really shocked me. (laughs) Yes, that's a great point. Uh, The number one killer of women over 50 is heart disease. One out of three women will die of heart disease. More women die of heart disease every year than breast cancer, ovarian cancer, and cervical cancer combined. So it is absolutely an important point. And the difference between premenopause and postmenopause with regards to heart disease is largely estrogen. Estrogen is a vasodilator, meaning that it's, it, it helps keep blood vessels reactive where that they, they can respond to normal physiological changes. That when you lose estrogen, which is what happens in the menopause, you lose some of that elasticity. And that is one of many factors that increases the risk for cardiovascular disease. And that's also where a lot of very, very interesting studies have been done on hormone replacement therapy and estrogen therapy in menopause and its relationship to heart disease. Current thinking on that now is is a little different than it was. Probably your guests have brought up the Women's Health Initiative, the big massive study that was done several years ago now, where one of the headlines from that, and this looked at women who who were on a hormone called Premarin and Provera, which are very common hormone replacements. And they found that women uh, who were on these hormones had an increased risk of heart disease. When they reanalyzed the data, the average age of these women was 61 or 62 when they started the hormones. I don't know anybody in my practice 
that I first start hormones on at 61 or 62. So they went back and reanalyzed this data. And now they've come out with some very convincing evidence that there is what we call an estrogen window, that if you start hormones, and that's a whole different discussion in and of itself, and we could spend two hours just talking about the pros and cons there. But if you if you do take hormones and you've talked with your healthcare provider and you've looked at the pros and cons, you've weighed them in the scale and you've decided, yes, this is right for me. If you're in that estrogen window, which is generally that time frame surrounding the menopause, that 45 to 55, if you start the hormones, then you actually have a reduced incidence of cardiovascular disease down the road. And that's a real shift in thinking. And it just shows that there's there's statistics and then there's lies. And it's just a matter of how they can be looked at and interpreted. But I have a lot of confidence in this most recent data. And I think it's causing a lot of us in healthcare to rethink how we are looking at things like hormone replacement in context of the total woman. How does this impact not just getting rid of hot flashes, but what does it do to her risk of blood clots or risk of heart disease or risk of dementia? Is it beneficial? Is it detrimental? You've got to weigh all those things and look at each person. It's impossible to give general recommendations because every woman is unique. And each time I I do this, I'm always surprised by you just can't cookbook any of this. I know. That's one of the problems for the whole medical industry, though, isn't it? Because you can't say this is what happens when a woman goes through menopause, because no, we'll all have different symptoms. We'll all start at different times. We all have completely different fluctuating hormones going on and happening. Oh, sure. Just, I mean, all you have to do is look at the fingerprint and just realize that 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 is so unique to each individual. No one else in the universe has that same fingerprint. And the same thing applies to menopause. There's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of consistencies. But the bottom line is each person is as unique as that fingerprint. And their experience, their their past history, their everything that they bring up to that point is going to influence their experience. Now, the good news is that 70% of women, by some studies, go through this transition with relatively mild changes. And I think that's a very important point that always needs to be brought out because, yes, we focus on the symptoms and we focus on the problems and the changes, and those are incredibly important. But I don't want women to automatically think that it's going to be a difficult time for them individually because it very well may not be. And we don't want that negative image to be propagated when it's not necessarily something that the individual may experience. But boy, and those who do have symptoms, uh, they they are hungry for information and solutions. You have. I think you're really open and you're interested in people. So in actual fact, your face does you a lot of favors. <laughs> because good. I get your concern and your care. That's what I was trying to think. I get your care. So, no, your face is good, Ron. That's the kind of thing I'd say and my kids would pull me up on it. Mum, no. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. 
oh gosh, I forgot where I was going to go now. I think the biggest problem I had, because yes, I had the hot flushes and I had the sleeplessness and I had the heavy periods and everything, but the biggest issue was I wasn't equipped to believe that what was happening was okay. Not just that it was normal, but that it was okay and there was nothing wrong because I felt like everything was wrong. Every time I opened my mouth and I'd say something that upset my kids because I was going through menopause as my two youngest daughters were going through puberty. Not pleasant. <laughs> that is a atomic bomb waiting to go off in your living room. That I, I do, and and that's not an uncommon scenario. Uh, so that is a challenging time, and you have my utmost respect for both you and them surviving that intact uh, because that that is fraught with with the uh, proverbial potholes uh, but it, it really is you know i think that is so commonly characteristic of folks experiencing the the thought of am i broken is there something else going on if you've ever had the experience of putting symptoms into Dr. Google, you will get a readout that you put in your, your snuffy nose and you may end up thinking you have dengue fever or something. You know, it's just it's very scary. And we live in this information age where we can put these uh, variety of symptoms in. And boy, it's it's real easy to go down the rabbit hole there. But I think it's it's important that and part of really the reason why I've done what I've done, whether it's with the books or with the online course, is to provide that understanding and not to replace a person's physician. Obviously, as we've talked about, that's got to be a one to one individualized kind of interaction, but to give the person, give the woman the ability to be a partner in that process, to know what questions to ask, to understand what they're experiencing, to be able to present it to their their physician and or their healthcare worker or whoever is partnering with them in this in this journey. It's empowering for them to be able to have some basic knowledge and go in and sit down and and talk with them and then have the courage to grab them by the throat if they don't give you a response or the time and say, just wait a minute and let me finish and listen and hear what I'm saying. And I can tell you from the other side, as a physician, as a healthcare worker, as a doctor, to have a woman come in and just lay it all out and explain her symptoms and explain her understanding is such a joy because then we can work together. Then we understand what's going on. And it's it just removes some of that mystery and that anxiety and that fear. And I think that's a, a big part of, of what I try to do with the outreach through the books and the courses and the web page and the, uh, the different things that I do. And I'm sure that's at the core of what you do is you you saw this lack of information. You saw something that had to be filled. And this is a tremendous service to be able to let women have a forum where they can pop in and listen and understand and 
then take that knowledge and not just stop there, but give them the the motivation to go farther and, and to take it to that individual place for their own perspective, what they need to do. So I think that's where it all starts. Mm, I, I agree with you. For me, it's it's about choice. So if I know, I look at all my symptoms, I go on a, a website and these are all the possible numerous symptoms of menopause. But the only one that's really bothering me is the night sweats because that wakes me up at night. So if I go to the doctor and I go, look, these are my symptoms, X, Y, Z, A, B, C, but the one that I really need help with is this, that's then that much more powerful because you as a health professional know then what to focus on. And it might be that you need to focus on something else in order to sort out the night sweats, but at least there's an understanding there. So it makes us partners in the whole thing. And you hit on a very, very important word, and that's options. That's one of the key points that I think women need to understand is there are always choices and options when it comes to hot flashes or mood changes or vaginal dryness or other symptoms associated with menopause. It's not about either or. It's both and, and there's always choices and options. And that's where having somebody who is well-versed on both what I would call traditional, non-traditional, functional, uh, whatever options are out there to be able to present to women what those are. Because I see so many folks that come in and think, well, I don't want to bring this up because all they're going to do is tell me I have to take hormones and I don't want to do that. And I think that discussion has to always start with hormones may be an option, but there are a lot of other things. And let's talk about those specifically uh, with hot flashes. Let's talk about nutrition. Let's talk about supplements. Let's talk about uh, even acupuncture. Let's talk about whatever has been shown to be effective. Let's present those options. And then you give me feedback because this is your body. Nobody knows your body better than you. And you have a sense, and and I have this great respect for that inner voice that says, okay, this makes sense to me. Let's try that. And my job is just then at that point to facilitate that and do what I can to try to bring that about. And then more importantly, follow up and evaluate because I see this all the time. Say somebody has terrible hot flashes and they say, really, I really want something natural. I really want something that is, is not a pharmaceutical. And I say, okay, there's here's ABCD and F, which we can try. And then make sure they understand that we don't just stop there because very commonly someone will say, okay, I'll try that for a month. Maybe it doesn't work. So they just give up and you never have any follow up. They go on living with the hot flashes. So there has to be that reevaluation. That's a critical part of the whole process is you take action, but then you have to reevaluate. And if it's getting what you need, if it's solving the problem, you keep doing what you're doing. But if it doesn't, you go to plan B, plan C, plan D. So that that word options is something I want all women to understand that they have at this point. And fingerprints is the other side of that. Because we're all different, we option A that works in 99% of cases 
just because it doesn't work for you, you got a different fingerprint. So you exactly. just got to keep going until we find out which bit works for you. It's- you know, I can take uh, I can take ten women and do exactly the same thing and get ten different outcomes. That's just the reality of 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 our bodies and and our systems, and it's the beauty of the uniqueness of each of us. It's also the frustration because you want whatever you're going to work on to be successful. So there is that level of frustration and the need for patience and the, we always live in a society where we want it yesterday. And I think part of understanding this approach in particular, you know, you can take an antibiotic and you've got a 99% chance it's going to cure that strep throat. But when it comes to these issues, there's so much uniqueness and so much difference in how our body responds that I always start and tell folks that that patience is truly a virtue, that we're not going to give up, that this first approach may be incredibly successful and it may not, but we don't just stop there. There's always a new direction. Mm-hmm. And there's not one cure fixes all. Sorry, ladies. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Work like that. <laughs> exactly. So we're gonna. I'm gonna wrap up there, Ron. Is this anything that you wanted? Anything else that you want to say? Well, I just, I just am so excited about being able to be a part of something like this that is getting the word out. I think that is such a critical part of this whole concept, this whole idea of trying to bring women into a time frame that is that is a special time in their lives. It's not a time to give up, to just be be put out to dry. This is a time that can truly be a magical, promising, purpose-filled time of their life. And it's starts with that awareness, starts with that education, which is exactly what you're you're helping to do, and starts with that mindset and then acting on that. And boy, just those two things alone, learning what it's about, taking steps to take action in some direction is going to put you ahead of 95% of folks who are dealing with these issues. Thank you. And just quickly, how can people get in touch with you? What's the best way? Uh, they can get me at uh, roneaker.com or if they want more information about menopause in particular, my website, womensonlinewellness.com. It's just all one word, women's online wellness, no apostrophe. Thank you. I've really enjoyed this. I could keep going, but... <laughs> Well, have me back sometime. I'd love to do it I again. I will. I will. That'd be fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted and rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends, please. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you're leaving with some great ideas that can make a difference in your everyday life. Until next time. <laughs>